we're going to dig for the next nine weeks into a single book, hopefully letting the book set the agenda, hopefully letting the book tell us where to go next, because this is something we believe pretty strongly in. And so even beginning uh, when we first started, like this little fledgling group started hanging out together um, almost a year ago in a few months, um, we got together and we started in the book of Acts. And we thought if we're going to have a new group of people getting together around the gospel of Jesus, we might as well take a blueprint that's been working for the last few thousand years. Let's not reinvent the wheel or think that we're smart enough or creative enough, creative enough to come up with something original. Let's dig into the Bible and see where that leads us. And so we went through the first half of the book of Acts all the way to chapter 15, and we took a break there uh, for the last couple of months. We'll resume that in 2015, but one of the things we like to do is let the Bible set the agenda so that when we get to the next spot, we know that our next task, our next subject, uh, the next thing that we want to be meditating on and learning about and expounding upon is simply the next thing in the book. We believe that God's Word speaks so loudly and so powerfully that that we want to let it speak. We want to get out of the way. So rather than every single week, a guy like me stands up here and just picks what I think we're going to talk about or learn about that week, we want to always be mooring ourselves into God's Word so that we can say, hey, for the next nine weeks, we're going to be in the book of Colossians. In addition to that, one of the things we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks of what it would look like to have like a long-term relationship with the Bible, starting with some of you who might have a reading plan for 2015, right? And remember what I told you, cross out the dates, black them out. So if you've already missed a spot trying to read through the Bible, don't beat yourself up. Just pick up where you left off, right? If you don't, if you don't finish it in a year, who cares, right? The only, the only failed uh, New Year's resolutions are the ones that we give up on, and, and the good ones are the ones that tend to last. So, so mark off the dates, clear them off, and let's keep reading in God's Word. And, and hopefully, even by example we're leading here, and over the nine weeks to come, we'll be able to look back and say, hey, at least I read Colossians, right? So just as a byproduct of being a part of this community of faith, in the next nine weeks, you will assimilate some information about Colossians. So what is Colossians? Why are we reading it? Where does it fit into the Bible? Why are we even reading the Bible? Let's ask some of those questions, maybe piece by piece, and let's start with Acts, or excuse me, Colossians chapter 4. If you found it there, we're going to read kind of one verse. Again, this is like Quentin Tarantino style. We're going to get the end of the book first, and then maybe we'll let all the rest of the pieces fall into place. This is a good book, though. Not everybody dies, okay? So, and if you don't get that reference, again, it's a non-linear fiction. You know, when you tell the story backward and it doesn't make sense, that, that's, that's where we're going to do this, okay? Hopefully so it'll make more sense, not less. So beginning in verse 16, this is the epistle to the Colossians, verse 16. It says, and when this letter, that is epistle, when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And then see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. This is the end of the book. This is the picture that's being painted. This is how things are supposed to fall into place. This is what it looks like. Verse 16, And when this letter has been read among you, he's speaking to a church, not unlike this this group of people getting together right now. He's speaking to this church, and he says, when, not if, mind you, just catch that really quickly. He says, when you read this letter, not if you read this letter. He says, when you read this letter, read it amongst all of you, and then have it also read in another church, in the church of the Laodiceans. 
That's a nearby city, a nearby area. And then see that when you pass this word, not if, but when you pass that on to that church, take the letter that I wrote to encourage and to direct the people in Laodicea and read it for yourselves. So right then and there, if you're wondering, why are we reading this book? Why, why are we reading a letter? The fancy churchy word is epistle. Uh, it's, it's, it's some fancy Greek words thrown together that means simply, it's a fancy word for saying letter, right? Uh, an, an epistle is, is to begin or, or to go or, or to send. And so in the sending, this letter reached its audience, it reached its congregation, it reached its destination. And we simply say it's a letter that was written by a guy named Paul to a church in Colossae. So the letter is called the Epistle to the Colossians. It's written a couple thousand years ago, and why would we even begin to read it now? And the answer to that question before, even as maybe the doubts begin to raise in your mind, what does this book that's 2,000 years old have to do with me? What does this book that we seem to dig into every single week got to do with me in my life? The answer, I think, is right there. When, not if, you read this letter. When you read it. Pass it around. Don't keep it a secret. The instruction, the encouragement, the admonition, the things that we find to this particular church weren't meant to be kept a secret. They were meant to be shared. And then, as if that weren't enough, there are other letters that ought to also be shared. So do me a favor. Flip all the way back in your Bible to the table of contents. Now, if you're looking at your Bible on a device, this is the first time where you don't have an advantage over the rest of us, right? So if you've got an actual paper Bible, if you can, flip to the table of contents of the Bible. It's an important place to live. Um, this is an important place to spend some time because if you're going to understand where we go in the Bible, th- this is a good place to, to start. Don't ever be afraid if, you, if I ever say, hey, open to this book. Don't ever be ashamed to open to the table of contents. It's a good place to go, especially when we're reading a short book like Colossians. And here you have the Old Testament and the New Testament laid out in order. And we call this Bible, God's Word. We believe that this book is not just a book, but it's somehow a means by which God, creator and divine orator, speaks to us. And that's crazy, right? First of all, that there is a God and He is above all and He is creator of all things. But to believe that that God who is above all of us would lower Himself and communicate to little measly you and me, And we really believe that that happens. When we open this book, God begins to speak. God begins to do something. And God begins to move. And the things that are recorded here, we call the Bible and we refer to as God's Word. But I point your attention to the table of contents so that you will notice something. This is not really a book. And when we refer to the Bible as a book, that's almost a misnomer. In fact, this is more custom, or excuse me, has more in common with a library than it does a book. The Bible that you're holding or that you have access to on a website or or on an electronic device has more in common with a library than it does any single book. And it's a collection of books. And you hear these books laid out before us. And there's some words that are the titles and and the labels for each of these books. And I would argue that most of them we don't use in common every language, right? I mean, I don't know the last time you've used the word Leviticus. Um, I don't know how often Ecclesiastes comes up in your conversation, right, over coffee, but it's an uncommon word, and, and it's an uncommon book, and it's collected into this library, and the point of this library is to communicate to you and me the collection of stories and history and songs even of how God has interacted with people. 
There's a collection here of, of how God has interacted and communicated to a group of people, even a nation of people. But there's also ways in which God has communicated to single individuals at a particular time. And so that we would cherish and desire to communicate and receive God's word, they've been collected here in this library we call the Bible. And every single step of the way, God is shaping his people, God is leading people by speaking to them. Turn the first page. Into Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1. For me, it's past the preface, the introduction, author's notes. Here we go. Verse 1, chapter 1, Genesis 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God started this whole thing. The earth was without void, and it was, there was darkness over the face of the deep. This is some ominous terms about the formlessness and the void that existed before God acted. And it says, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And then in verse 3, there's a really cool thing that starts this whole thing off. And then God said... Let there be light. God shapes the world. God shapes his people by his word. And the very first story that the collecting, this collection, this library, the, the arrangers of this library, the very first story that they wanted us to hear was that when God speaks, stuff happens. And in some mysterious and and very difficult under, way to understand. God spoke, and then this. God spoke, and then everything that has existed. And before God speaks, there is void, there is emptiness, and God speaks into the emptiness, and then things start happening. And the point of these first few chapters was to let us know and to encourage us that there's a point to this whole story. That our God's in charge. Does it look like it's out of control? Absolutely. Sometimes that's very difficult to believe. It looks like this thing that's called the world is careening out of control. It's, it's about to go off a cliff. But the very first word that the arrangers of this library wanted us to hear was a word of encouragement so that we might know we're not alone and that God is with us. He's in charge of all of this and he guides and corrects and forms all things by his word. He speaks. If you skip a few chapters, the first people start showing up. And there's this guy by the name of Abraham. His first, when he starts at the story, his name is Abram. But when God speaks, his name changes. Get the idea? God speaks. He shapes, leads, changes, directs his people. And he gives a promise to Abram. And he says, look, if you will know me, seek me, and hear my voice, I will fulfill a promise in you and in your lineage, in your family tree that will last all generations, and will bless every single person in the world, no matter what tribe, what tongue, whatever nation. And God shapes his people. And the first Jews, the first chosen people, were coming out of Gentiles, right? The first religious people were pagan. Until what happened? God spoke. God made a promise and it shaped history. So these people are just good, ordinary people. As you read through the Bible, you see that it doesn't gloss over some really interesting facts about people that were messy people. We make a lot of silly decisions, right? Um, that this, this, this whole book, if, if you pull out the right passages, would make an awesome Jerry Springer show. And some weird things happen. And the Bible, this library, wants us to know that that's the way humans work. That's, the, we, that's what we do. If there's one thing we're good at from the beginning to the end, it's, it's to do our own thing in a way that seems to be somewhat destructive. And yet, God wants to shape his people, and so he delivers his people out of the mess they get themselves in in Exodus. And 
as Moses delivers God's word to them, directs them, saves them, helps deliver them out into the freedom from captivity. Of course, they want to go back because only people these days want the good old days, right? Even these people wanted to go back to even what they thought was better. And God shaped them with His Word, and He gives Moses what we know now as the Ten Commandments. So you're sitting here thinking, oh man, um, man, that's my least favorite part of this book, right? The law, the rules. And I know what some of you are thinking. God is up there and out there, and He's just waiting to make you miserable. And His one desire in the world is to give you rules to keep you from having fun. Right? That's what God is here. He's here to make you miserable and to keep you from doing all the things that you wish you could do. But there's a sense in which God gives His Word not to punish, but instead to guide His people so that everyone would know this group of people follows a different lead. This group of people looks different. This group of people acts different. They follow a different code. Now, this isn't new to us. Um, this is something you and I know. Man, this is, this is what we believe about God's Word, that He shapes us, that He's a Father who loves His children. But here's how this tends to play out in my life, okay? So um, my, my daughters, uh, I've, I've introduced to most of you, and all I know to tell you is the highest compliment I can pay any of you is that I let you hang around my daughters, right? Um, and I sense, as best I can tell, that my daughters hanging around you people is a good thing. And it doesn't put them in any harm's way, right? It doesn't put them at risk to hang out with you people. And I'm trusting, mostly, that you're not going to tell her Either my daughters, bad things or, or unhealthy things, you're not going to tell them things that will harm them. But if you were to tell them things that aren't helpful, rest assured, if we lined up in this room and all began to speak whatever we wanted to my daughters, if I spoke loud enough, my daughters would hear my voice above all of them. And for some amazing, miraculous reason, the likes of which I will be trying to understand and explain till the day I die, they will listen to me. They will hear my voice. And just, just by virtue of, I mean, this is crazy. It just blows my mind. They, just by virtue of my relationship to them, they're going to hear my voice. And it's going, to, it's going to cause something in them to move. It's going to cause them to want to listen, and they're going to perk up their ears. Now, will they get to a point where that, will that will not be the case? Yes. All right? Anyone who's lived through their teenage years, yes. A time is coming, I'm going to be an idiot. Okay? Just, I'm ready for it. I'm just, I'm just trying to brace myself for it. But even then, there's a sense in which regardless of the voices that are being spoken to my daughters, they're going to hear their father's voice in a different way. And the same is true when we seek to hear from the voices that share with us out of this thing we call the Bible. There is no shortage of opinions in our world. In the last decade or two, they've actually dedicated entire cable channels to those opinions. There is no shortage of information and opinions coming at you and me. And yet there's some sense in which above all the voices speaking to you and to me loudly how we ought to think, how we ought to live, what we ought to love, and where our affections ought to lie, there's this mysterious, powerful way in which our God and Father is speaking out in a way that if we will let Him, will capture our hearts, will grab our attention, and it will lead us in a way that takes us to joy, greater joy than any opinion or information can give you.
And there's incredibly good news that our God has not left us alone, but instead He speaks. He continues to speak. So even as those people who they were given the rules, right? And, and God gives these people the rules so that they would hear His voice and they would understand this is God's will for us to experience joy. Like it's just, go, it goes better in your world if you don't murder. Agreed? Like things just are simpler. There's a sense in which there's some pragmatic elements of God's word and his law for us. But there's also a greater sense in which when you follow those things and when you seek to be in line with God's will for your life, you look different. You stand out. You look different. When, when, you, when you shall not covet, right? Which is envy, which is the desire to have something. Look, you look different when Black Friday rolls around and you're not obsessed with the new most awesome thing. You stand out in a crowd by not lining up in a crowd outside of Best Buy. You look different when we as a group of people are content and on God's voice being spoken in our lives, we just look different. We don't look like the average consumer, the average person obsessed with the next biggest, brightest, greatest thing. And there's a, there's a scary thing that's happened. I don't know if you know this. Um, this is new news for some of you. Um, but the greatest symbol of, Amer- of American consumerism, this desire to always want the next best and brightest thing, right? That we want the better one. We want the newest one, right? A great symbol of American consumerism, sadly, has died. Some of you know this. This makes me sad. Sky Mall declared bankruptcy this last week. Sky Mall. I don't know about you, I don't even want to get on an airplane anymore. The, my only motivation to get on an airplane and enjoy myself is Sky Mall. It's a magazine that they have only in airplanes, hence Sky Mall, and it's full of the most amazing, some ridiculous, fair enough, inventions, consumer products that you could possibly have. And there's a sense in which I get excited um, I'm sad because that's awesome. I would love to just read a Sky Mall from 20 years ago. What was cool then, right? But a Sky Mall, the, the great symbol of the, I want this, I wish I had more, it's, it, it's declared bankruptcy. And part of me is excited because maybe, just maybe, we're starting to loosen our grip on being obsessed with the next thing. Do you know where that came from? Do you know where that idea came from? The rebellious notion that we always have to grab and hoard things for ourselves, it came from rebellion from God's first law for His people. And our God wanted in His Ten Commandments to give us joy and contentment. And so He said, be careful. You shall not covet. Don't envy things. There's no joy in that. The next Sky Mall comes out and robs whatever joy the last one gave you. I might be the only one who believes this, so just forgive me. Let me have this for a moment. I'm the only one who likes Sky Mall. Just, I'm crazy. But there's a sense in which that desire for the next greatest thing was addressed at the very beginning, and God's first will for us was for our good, for our joy, for our happiness and contentment. And even though God's people rebelled against, the, against God, God keeps sending messengers. And throughout, if you're still, still staring at the table of contents, what follows after Exodus, a bunch of different stories about how God worked in some really crooked circumstances, some really corrupt kings. God still protects them. God still speaks to them. And he sends prophets. And so there's this list of interesting names like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Obadiah. And these are God's messengers to speak words of encouragement, rebuke, admonition to his people so that they would know that he continues to speak, he continues to urge, and he continues to encourage his people. 
And the break of the silence come in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where God speaks a definitive word, a powerful word. And if you want to, I want you to join me there in John chapter 1. So if you've got your Bible, make your way to John chapter 1. Even if you don't, I'll just read you the first couple of verses. And so as we're contemplating how this thing goes, why we even read the Bible and why we're even alive, the first book of the Bible started with the phrase I read to you, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning. And the first thing that God did in the void, in the vacuum of all existence is He spoke. And the word He spoke brought life. And John wants to explain to you the real life, the real creation that's been taking place since God spoke into existence. He says in verse 1 of John chapter 1, in the beginning. Now that's originally was the title of this book. Now, that's kind of a a controversial title because most of these books that we see in the table of contents were, in fact, not titled or named, but they were simply known by their first phrase, the first words. So the book Genesis, which simply means beginnings, starts with the phrase, in the beginning. And it was known by most people for centuries as the book called, In the Beginning. You want to know about the beginning? Read that book. It's called In the Beginning. And along comes John, and he publishes a book about Jesus. And you know what he titles the book? In the Beginning. Right? That'd be like if I wrote a book, and I published it, and I titled it The Bible. Right? You, you, you should be, oh, what, are you, what are you trying to say, bro? Like, what, do you, what do you think you know? And what are you trying to say about the world that you write a book and you call it the Bible. That's what John does. He's telling a story about Jesus. And the story begins with a title from Genesis. And he wants you to know that God speaks His Word. He says, in the beginning was the Word. Now we already know this from Genesis. God spoke and all things came into existence. But in verse 1 of John chapter 1, John gives us a different picture of creation. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and that Word was with God. And that Word was God. And all of a sudden we know we're talking about something different. This word that John is talking about is not just something that he's speaking, but instead this word is Jesus Christ. That in the beginning, God spoke not only to bring all of the universe into being, the universe that we are still trying to measure to this day. We're still trying. We We don't have telescopes good enough to show us how awesome the universe is just yet. And all of those things came into being, including the word that God spoke to you and me, that is Jesus Christ. And the first word that God spoke was not just a word about how the universe that is mysterious and fathomless came into being, but it's a word about how God already had a plan to fix whatever might break in it. In the beginning was Jesus God was speaking. It says He was in the beginning in verse 2 with God. And all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him, that is in Jesus, in this Word that God speaks to you and to me, in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. God's first Word to the world, to you and to me, was a word of mercy in Jesus Christ. Just catch the gospel here that Mark, I mean, excuse me, that John wants you to hear. He wants you to know that before things started to break, before those people needed rules because they were acting crazy and they were losing their minds, before those people needed God to shape them and keep them from acting like crazy people, God had already come up with a way to win them back to Himself. 
God had already spoken a word. He had already set in motion the way in which he would win his people back. Get this, get this, this is awesome, man. Before you broke the Ten Commandments, any one of them, God was already preparing to win you back and reconcile himself to you. Before the mistakes you made when you were 13 or worse, when you were younger, God was already looking for a way to put those pieces back together and give you, did you hear what it says? Life and light and darkness. Before you and I even had the good idea to sin, God had already made a way to win us back. Before there was a canyon between us and God, he was already building a bridge in Jesus Christ. Before we had run away and rebelled against him, God had already sent his son into the world to chase us down, pursue us, and love us back to himself. And that changes everything. It changes everything. Fast forward 12 years, or maybe less. Remember those rebellious years that I'm waiting for? My girls are going to have a hard time hearing, my God, hearing their father's word. Did you, did you catch this? If we hear this word, it changes the way we see the future. I already know. I'm already preparing. I'm already, I'm already like writing and thinking about how I am going to love my children back when they run away. Because my God looked at me in my worst and lowly estate and He already came up with a way to win me back in Jesus. That's the Word that God has given us. That's the Word that shapes us. That's the Word that never abandons us. And that's the Word that we dig into on a weekly basis that we might be shaped by it. We might be shaped by it. It's a word of good news that our God doesn't give up on us. And the word isn't just a rule or a law to keep you from having fun in this world. The word is a word of mercy in Jesus Christ that he wants to win us back even when we abandon him. That's amazing. That's a big word. And that's why it takes a library to communicate the complex and important little pieces of this word. And this library we call the Bible. And because of that, we look at Colossians and when people who started a movement pass on this wisdom of God to His people, He says, let this letter be read among you. Don't just read it so that you get smarter, but read it like a child listening in a crowded room for the voice of His Father. So for the next nine weeks, we want to dig into this and we don't want to just get smarter. I hope, I hope above all hope that you don't just like get some more wrinkles in your brain so that maybe you can mouth off about Colossians to someone. I mean, there's some great stuff worth memorizing here. I know that's what I'm committing to. I want to memorize the second chapter. It's that good. The second and third chapter, they're just they're amazing. But we want to, on a regular basis, dig into God's Word. Because there's this overlap of God speaking this good news to us, and we believe that when we do, and when we read it amongst one another, it's a lot better than me just sharing my opinions with you. It's a lot better than us just picking a channel. I mean, because after you could have stayed home and listened to any channel committed to people's opinions. There's lots of choices. But what if there's something better amongst that cacophony of voices? God is wanting to speak to His children like a loving Father. He wants to start a movement by it. So I don't want take you this last place to the book of Acts, a place we'll return in the next 
couple of months, but if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 19, I want to read to you the first few verses of Acts chapter 19. If you can find it on your device, that's just as well. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. This is the movement that God's word of mercy in Jesus Christ created. It's the movement that carries on today. The reason that you're not the only group of people that gets together on a Sunday morning to celebrate God's word. All over the city, there are people doing that very thing, celebrating the good news of what God has done when he spoke to us a word of mercy. And this movement was created and it's accounted for us in the book of Acts. And this is where it gets way down in the story as it starts to to scatter out. It says in verse 1 of chapter 19, book of Acts, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now this is a callback to where we were a couple of weeks ago. Remember when we found out about the message of John the Baptist? Remember what he said to all the people? He said, Look, I'm going to baptize you with water but there's this dude who's coming and he's awesome. And he's so awesome, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoelaces. And this guy's coming and he's not just going to baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit of God. And there's a spiritual reality that will will come and, and it will come into being when this guy Jesus comes along. And so this is a callback for you and for me to what we already know about John. But these people apparently were baptized in water, but they didn't know that they were supposed to be baptized into Jesus by which the power of the Holy Spirit would take over. Only Jesus and only the power of the Holy Spirit can reclaim us back to God. And they said, no, we didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then what you were, bab- were you baptized? And they said, well, we were baptized into John's baptism. And Paul said, dude, John baptized with baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. So Jesus was like, repent, confess your sins, because there's a king that's coming and his name's Jesus and it's going to be awesome. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So he was like baptizing these people. I don't know if he said all of that every time he baptized them, right? But he baptized a person. Hey, there's one who's coming. Baptize a person. Confess your sins. There's one who's coming. And Jesus comes along and he's baptized and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove so that we would know that that one is here. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And of course, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And then they began to speak in tongues and began prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. So check this out. This movement begins and it starts. Did you catch some of the words that were were being shared here? It starts over on the far left in a place called Corinth. Way over there. All the way to the left side here. Now, if you look closely over here, this is about where Jerusalem and a place called Judea was. And the first chapter of Acts, this movement began, and Jesus says to these people before He goes up into heaven, hey dudes, you're not going to have all the answers to the questions, right? Because they were like, Jesus, when are you going to bring your kingdom? And he's like, hey, it's none of your business. 
It's not for you to know the times and places, but it is for you to be witnesses, witnesses of what you've seen and heard from me. Witnesses first in Jerusalem, your hometown, next in Judea, that's the places right around you, and then to the people you hate, which for them was the Sumerians. It says the Sumerians, which is over here where this modern-day Syria would look. And then it says if that's not far enough, you're going to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. So just zoom out for a second and capture this one, okay? From here to there is probably the distance from here to to the other side of Montana, okay? And so these people without cars saw the good news that they witnessed to spread all the way to the ends of the earth, all the way to Corinth. Did you catch where they were at the very beginning? There was another guy by the name of Apollos in Acts chapter 19, and they were in Corinth. Now just, just for your knowledge here, if you flip back over to the table of contents, you're going to see some interesting names. And those names are related to some key cities on this map. One of them being Corinth. You'll see a couple of books there that are letters to a church in Corinth. And it's called 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And what is it in Colossians chapter 4, verse 16 that we're supposed to do with those letters? When, not if you read those letters, share them. Right? And when you get a hold of them, you collect them together, and this is why we have the Bible. But if you also look at the table of contents, there's some more. There's a place, look at that, Ephesus. Well, guess what? There's another book in the New Testament, a letter to a church like yours, like the one you're sitting in right now, and it's called the letter to the Ephesians. Most likely, in fact, the letter to the Laodiceans that's being referred to that we read in Colossians chapter 4, verse 16. And when, not if you get your hands on it, read it, learn from it. God will speak to you like a father to a child through it. Look up there. Philippi, do you see one? And we're talking way up there. Philippi, right next to it. Thessalonica. See this country right here? This whole, this whole region, Galatia. If you look at your table of contents, there are letters to churches in those places. This movement blew up, and it blew out past Jerusalem, past Judea, past Samaria, all the way to the ends of the earth. The ends of the known world heard the witness of what Jesus had done word of mercy that God spoke to them in Jesus. And as a result, this movement created an amazing thing that took place. But I want you to draw attention maybe just to the first little, uh, little piece there. You see, uh, in the middle of that, I'm, I'm going to deal with some technology here so I can get there. Um, but in the middle of the map, there's a place called Asia. Now, this is a different geographical Asia than what we typically know of as Asia. We think of Asia as a continent. For this particular known part of the world, um, this area of Asia is modern-day Turkey. And on the west side of this modern-day Turkey is a place called Ephesus. And on the east side is a place called Colossae, Colossae, the place where this letter to a church in Colossians was written. Go back to chapter 19, verse 10. In verse 7, it says that there were 12 men. There were 12 men who got together on this side of the country, Ephesus. There were 12 men. In verse 8, it says, They entered the synagogue, and for three months they spoke boldly. They were reasoning, and they are persuading people about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn, because only people these days are stubborn, right? When some became stubborn, and they continued in unbelief, they began speaking evil of the way that is the way that the church, this movement of Jesus, and they were speaking evil of the way before the congregation, It says that he withdrew from them and he took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. 
And verse 10 tells us an awesome thing that happened. Even in spite of adversity, even in spite of a great deal of resistance from the people, the stubbornness of the people because they thought this word of mercy in Jesus was crazy. It says in verse 10 that this continued for two years and over the course of two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And in that group of people was a guy that we'll learn about next week. His name is Epaphras. And Paul didn't start this church because he's a rock star. God moved over here and created a movement and spoke to people all the way across the map to the point where everyone in Asia heard the good news of Jesus. And it started in this particular country with 12 people. So here's how I want to encourage you. Our God speaks. Our God does amazing things. And over the next few weeks, uh, this has been a good uh, kind of visible theme for me. Um, Here's just kind of a word depiction of the most common themes that we find in the book of Colossians. Just look at some of them that jump out there. You have any questions about some of those? Like, anyone struggle? See the biggest one there? Prayer? Anyone... Anyone struggle with that? Anyone find that to be difficult? Let me put it this way. Has any of you in the last week come to the end of the day and be like, you know what, bro? I just prayed too much today. Like, I really, man, I just prayed way too much this week. I really need to cut back. I've just been talking to God all the time. I really did too much of it. Anyone ever been there? Raise your hand. You're the hero, right? Anyone? Because most of us, even though we find that it's, it's something that God wants to do, he won't, remember this is a father who wants to speak to his children, and yet despite that, we, this is difficult to do. What an amazing thing to know that this book is going to give us some pieces of information, a little bit of advice, maybe a little bit of encouragement in an area that we struggle with. What about next to that? Love. Love. You good at, let's go back again. Anyone this week, like, you just love the people around you too much. Anyone right now, like, I loved my boss way too much this week. I just love him way too much, right? Man, you know the people around me that I really don't like? I love them way too much, right? Isn't it good to know that a father wants to speak to his children and encourage us in areas that we know we need to grow in? Faith. See one of the big ones? Resurrection. Is this life the end of it? Is this it? You work, you make money, and then you die? Is that it? Is that all there is to it? Or is it possible that there's a loving father who wants to encourage his children over the cacophony of voices to encourage us about some amazing things, means by which God gives us joy, means by which God gives us peace, means by which God encourages us. The last graphic I'll show you is not just the themes, but it's also the exact words that we see. Because the way that God speaks, this is the act, not just the themes, but this is the actual words that we'll find in this book for the next nine weeks. And I want to draw your attention just to two particular words here that stand out. First and foremost, the loudest thing that this book is going to tell us about is the same thing John wanted us to know, that the word of mercy and grace that God has spoken to us is who? Christ. I don't know if I can reach it from there, so I'll go over here. What about this word here that's also big? 
if there's one thing Sky Mall was good at, right, is this one, right? Things. <laughs> if there's one thing that you don't have a shortage of in your life, and I don't have a shortage of in my life, it's this, right? Anyone? Like, oh, I just, I have, I don't have enough things. Does anyone have a, an empty storage bin or like an empty basement, empty house? Anyone have an empty schedule? We got lots of these. Praise be to God. Hopefully over the next nine weeks, a loving Father will speak to you and to me, His children, whom He wants to hear from and whom He wants to encourage in order to let you know that these things don't get the last word. These things aren't the end all. The word of mercy and grace that our God and Father who loves us and cherishes us wants us to receive and hear is that the Son, His Son, Jesus Christ, is bigger than everything else. Let's pray. God, we thank You that You are good. Uh, we thank You that You are merciful. Uh, that even, even in our worst day, uh, even while we were running away from You, even while we were rebelling against Your goodness, uh, the Bible tells us that even in those days that we were the enemy of God, you sent your son Jesus Christ to die in our place. Uh, while we were still wandering, while we were still strangers, uh, while we were worshiping things, God, uh, while we were seeking our own way, while we were rebelling against your word, you still just kept speaking a word of mercy in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the truth of that. We thank you for the mercy that's available to us in Jesus. So, Practically speaking, if there's any of us in this room, maybe just right now we're bogged down with things. Uh, we're just burdened. Uh, we're looking for direction. At the very least, would you help us to at least open our ears to hear you speak uh, a word of mercy and peace in Jesus? Uh, God, maybe right now if there's some in this room, they, they, they just... They feel as far away from God as they could possibly feel. Would you let them know that you have drawn near to them in Jesus Christ? And even before the first molecules of this universe came into being, you were already preparing to speak a word of mercy. Before the foundations of this word were laid, you were, world were laid, you were already planning on how you would send your son to die like a lamb slain on our behalf. And so if we feel far from God today, if we feel far from you, uh, would you just draw us close by Jesus? It's only by your mercy in Jesus that we can even know that you're good. If there's some of us, maybe, um, maybe we know this good news. We've heard this good news. Uh, maybe we just haven't been excited about uh, the amazing things that, that you mean to use us to do. God, inspire us. You, you started with this group of 12 people and it changed the country. Oh, by the grace of God, would you do that again? Uh, would you start in our lives and our families and our relationships, uh, bring new life, light into the darkness? And we'll give you the glory. We'll, we'll give you the honor for it. And you'll give us the joy in it. God, as a church, as a group of people, just a fledgling group of people, would you, would you begin to start a movement like this movement you started with 12 people? 
you, you have a way of taking small things and making amazing miracles out of them. Would you do that? Would you continue to do that this year for us? Would you make this thing called Connection Church not just a clique and a club, but make it a, the beginning of a movement to where people on the opposite side of our sphere of influence would hear the good news that there's a Redeemer, there's a Savior, that this Jesus has come to restore us and give us joy by knowing our Father. Open our ears to hear you speak to us over the loud number of voices that are screaming in our ears at present. We'll give you the glory for it in your name. Amen.